please turn in your Bibles to the passage we read earlier in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. John chapter 17, and I'll read verses 1 through 4 and verse 24. Verse 1, these things Jesus spoke, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that the Son may glorify thee, even as thou gavest him authority over all mankind, that to all whom thou hast given him he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I glorified thee on the earth, having accomplished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now glorify thou me together with thyself, Father, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And then down in verse 24, where we will hopefully spend most of our time today, Jesus prayed, Father, I desire that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am in order that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me for thou didst love me before the foundation of the world. In our recent sermons we've been asking the question what is the heart of the Lord Jesus toward us now that he has been exalted back into heaven And we remain here on this earth below. And this upper room discourse, which John records here for us from chapter 13 through verse chapter 17, is surely one of the best places in all the scripture to find the answer to this question. Because in everything that Jesus says throughout this Last Supper, his mind is set upon his return back to his heavenly Father and to the glory that he shall return to. And we've seen that the heart of Christ toward us in glory is still today one of love and affection as it has always been. Because the love of Jesus is unchanging, it is an everlasting love toward us who are believers. He has loved us, he loved us in eternity when the Father chose his people and gave us to his beloved son for salvation. He loved us when he came into this world in the incarnation and left his throne above. He loved us on earth as he accomplished his life of righteousness that we might have white robes to cover our shame. He loved us when he went to the cross to die for our sins, to cleanse us from all of our iniquity. And he still continues to love us, even now, as he has been exalted and glorified in heaven. As John said, he loved his own who were in the world, and he loved them to the end. And in this upper room discourse, Jesus speaks of three main ways in which his love will continue to us after he is ascended into heaven. The first is in the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
in which he will give us another helper, another comforter who will be with us forever. He will not leave us here as orphans. He will come to us by the Spirit, as he promised in John 14 and verse 16. He said, I will ask the Father, and he will give to you another helper, another comforter who will be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. And the second evidence of his continuing love to us is his promises to hear us in heaven and answer our prayers. He has made various promises throughout this upper room discourse of his answers to our prayers. He will not ignore us. He will not neglect us when he ascends into heaven. And his great distance between us and him will not mean an end to our fellowship with him, but he will always be ready to hear us in any request that we may make of him. He says, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And we've covered these first two evidences of his continuing love to us in previous messages. This morning, we come to the third evidence of his continuing love for us from heaven which is his own prayer for us here in John chapter 17. This entire chapter is a prayer of Jesus, which he makes to his heavenly Father in the presence of his disciples. In the previous chapters, he has spoken many words of promise and comfort to them, and now in this chapter, he prays for them. It is what we call an intercessory prayer in which Jesus prays for others, for his apostles in verses 1 through, for his own glory, yes, in verses 1 through 5, his return to his glory, and then in verses 6 down through verse 19, a prayer especially for his apostles who were with him on that night, but many of the things he says in those verses still apply and do apply to us today. And then in verses 20 through the end of the chapter, his view enlarges and he embraces his entire universal church to the very end of the world and brings all of his requests concerning her to his heavenly Father. An intercessory prayer. It is often called Jesus' high priestly prayer. Because it is an example of his intercession with God the Father at his right hand in heaven. This is what he will be doing and this will be his great and continual work for us once he returns into heaven. He will not only hear our prayers from below, but he will pray to his heavenly Father above on our behalf. He always lives at the throne of God, even this morning, to make intercession for us. And here we are overhearing one of his intercessory prayers for us at the right hand of God as he anticipates his return to his Father. It is a summary of his great concerns and how he prays 
in heaven for our needs and all of his words and his expressions that he use here, uses here, they are a revelation of his heart and they show his great love for us now that he is in glory. His own sufferings were just before him. Within an hour or two, he would be in his great agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then through the long night after his arrest, his false trials, his being beaten, mocked and spat upon, scourged, and then on the following day, condemned to death and nailed to a cross in a crucifixion, he knew that all of these things were just before him. And yet the great burden of his heart was upon us and our safety and our well-being to our salvation. This is not a prayer for his needs. This is a prayer, an intercessory prayer for our needs. What we really have here is an inner Trinitarian conversation One person of the Trinity speaking to another person of the Trinity as if we were brought into the holy place of heaven and we overhear the Son of God speaking to God the Father. What an amazing prayer this is, as if heaven is opened up before us in these words. The prayer stretches from eternity past to eternity future. Jesus refers to his eternity his glory in eternity past in verse 5. He says, And now, Father, glorify me together with thyself, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was, the glory in eternity before the creation of the world. But then down in verse 24, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am in order that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me to be restored to his glory in eternity future. So the prayer extends from eternity past into eternity future. The great difference is that in eternity future, he will have his saints with him forever. We were not with him in eternity past, But the whole reason for which he came into the world, that he might rescue us out of this present evil age and bring us to be with him in his eternal glory in the future. The prayer was spoken here in the hearing of his disciples on purpose, that it might be recorded and that it might give us joy in the things which Jesus speaks of. We see this in verse 13. He says, but now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, in this prayer, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. So Jesus desired that all of his words in this prayer would be heard in the presence of the disciples, for them as well, for us, so that they would be recorded by them for us today, that we might have a glimpse into his intercession for us in heaven, so that we might be assured of his constant care, his watchfulness over us continually through all of life, that we might have joy made full within ourselves. We see that Jesus begins in verse 1. 
And we'll mention a few of the things here as we look at this prayer this morning. Lord willing, this evening in verse 1, he lifts up his eyes to heaven. And the first thing he said is, Father, the hour has come. It is the hour that he had always known was coming. The hour he had known was coming throughout his public ministry. Back in John chapter 2, in his very first miracle, when he was at the wedding feast, he changed the water into wine. He said to his mother at that time, My hour has not yet come. But then we see at the end of his ministry in John chapter 12, when he came into Jerusalem for the last time, and he knew that he was headed to the cross. And he said, My soul has become troubled What shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. It was the hour of his sufferings. It was the purpose for which he came to the hour into this world. But it was not just an hour that he had known during his earthly life. But it was the hour that had been planned from all eternity in which the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Blessed Trinity had determined that there would be a salvation for sinful men. And they decided, they agreed with one another, the Son of God would come into the world and accomplish that salvation. And he would come to the hour of his death upon the cross in which he would accomplish all things that are needed for us It was the hour predestined from eternity, as Peter said on the day of Pentecost. This man delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And God raised him from the dead, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. It was the hour that had been foreshadowed by all the ceremonial law of the Old Testament. It was the hour that the prophets had spoken of as they predicted the Christ and his sufferings and the glory that would follow all Old Testament time had been moving to this hour. It was the fullness of time and the consummation of the ages. It was the hour that all the creation had been waiting for. Jesus knew this hour had now finally come, and so he lifts up his eyes to his Father in heaven, and he says, Father, the hour of my suffering has come. And then he prays, glorify thy Son, he says. Glorify thy Son in my sufferings, in my resurrection, my ascension back into heaven, that I would sit at your right hand, Glorify thy Son, that the Son may glorify thee, that the Son might have all power to give eternal life to sinners, as he says in verses 2 and 3, that he might build his church in every nation, that he might glorify the Father throughout the world. The hour has finally come for the Father to glorify the Son, for the Son to glorify the Father. And then he says in verse 4, I glorified thee on the earth. 
having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. The Father had given the Son the work to accomplish for our salvation. And now everything that was needed, that the Father required for our salvation, it had all been fully accomplished. Every commandment of the Father had been kept. Every jot and tittle of the law perfectly obeyed. Justice, God's justice, was now satisfied. Righteousness accomplished. Sin removed by the cross. Satan and his power conquered. Death vanquished. Not a single thing was left undone. It is finished. He cried from the cross and the Father had been glorified in all the life and death of his beloved Son. Jesus speaks here as if everything was done. His cross was so certain before him. He speaks as if it were already accomplished. I glorified thee on the earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given me. To do. And it was because, it is because of his accomplished work on earth, in doing all of the Father's will, that he is able to make all of the requests that he makes throughout this prayer for us as his disciples. He has earned the merit, and he has purchased everything that is needed for us by his perfect life. And death. He is like one who has finished his work, and now he comes to receive the reward of all that he has done. This is the way it is in heaven in his intercession. He has earned infinite riches, and all unsearchable treasures now belong to him by what he has accomplished in his life and death. And he now brings these requests, because it is all done for us and for our salvation. Jesus speaks in this prayer of an unseen world, where the Father is in heaven and where he is soon going. He says down in verse 11, he says, And I am no more in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, Jesus knew where he was going to another world. We see again down in the beginning of verse 13, he says, But now I come to thee. The whole prayer is based on Jesus going to another world where he will be with his heavenly Father. There is another world which we have never seen. It is the world of heaven above. It is a world of glory and holiness where the Father dwells. All the mighty angels and the souls of righteous men made perfect Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the saints down through the ages. The world that we live in now is not all there is. This world is passing away. There is an eternal world that is to come, a heavenly city whose architect and builder is God. There is another world. 
we focus our thoughts for the most part today on verse 24 of this prayer. Father, I desire that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am in order that they may behold my glory. Jesus begins with that address of God in heaven, Father. He has used this address throughout the prayer. He has mentioned it before in various places in verse 11. In the middle of the verse, he calls God Holy Father. Down in verse 21, he says that they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me. And again, in the beginning of verse 25, O righteous Father. And in this repetition, Jesus is continually refreshing his soul with thoughts of who God is in his relationship to him. The nearness of God the Father to him. That God was not just a distant and unknown deity, but God was in this close and most intimate family relationship to him in which he was his heavenly father. He had been his father from eternity, and this is who he still was to him. Father, he says. And this is true for us who believe through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what God, this is what Jesus has done for us. He has taken God, who before salvation was a terrible judge against us, but now he has become our loving Heavenly Father. And so we may come in the same way, and we should always remember these things. This should be our view of God, and Jesus teaches us that we should pray in this way. And so we bring comfort to our souls, and we stir ourselves up continually, as Jesus does here for prayer to address him as Father. Jesus makes his request. In verse 24, he says, Father, I desire, or it is sometimes translated, Father, I will. This is my request. This is my desire, my will, my prayer that I ask you to grant to me. And his desire is, as we see, that all believers would be brought to be with him where he is in heaven, that we may behold his glory which the Father has given him. His request is not spoken as if it was a commandment to the Father, but his request is spoken, asked of the Father, and it is guaranteed. His request here is a request that is certain and sure for certain reasons. First is his eternal relationship with the Father, as the Son of God, as we mentioned. The Father had known His beloved Son from eternity. And the Father would always give to His Son what His Son asks, because the will of God the Son is always the same as the will of God the Father, as they are in the one God from all eternity. So there is certainty in the answer to this prayer. A second reason why The request is so certain is because of the many promises of the Father to the Son for a people and a kingdom 
an eternal kingdom in the Old Testament scriptures. Psalm chapter 2 and verse 8, Ask of me, the Father said, and I will surely give the nations as thine inheritance and the very ends of the earth as thine possession. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 14, To him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom will never be destroyed. The father promised his son in concerning his son in Psalm 89 and verse 27. He said, I shall make him the first, my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My loving kindness I will not keep from, I will keep for him forever. And my covenant shall be confirmed to him. So I will establish his descendants forever and his throne as the days of heaven. So all of these promises of the Father to the Son, that he would have a people and a kingdom forever, this is what Jesus is praying for. It is certain that the Father will fulfill his promises. And the third reason why it is so certain is because he has obtained all of the merit for the answer to this prayer. And so he may come with all of his merit, as he mentioned in verse 4, and he may ask for the reward for all to be given to him. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 4, he says, the one who works, his wage is not reckoned as a favor, but as what is due. And that's what this is as Jesus makes this request. His request is not a favor from God. It is what is due to him for all that he has accomplished. When you work and your wages are withheld from you, it is injustice. And so it would not be just for God the Father to withhold anything that the Son deserves he has accomplished all things that are needful for the answer to this prayer. His blood, his righteousness, there is his merit. All the perfection, the excellence of his glorious work of salvation, it has all been accomplished. Every commandment fulfilled, every law kept. And he has all merit. We have none. He has all merit. For the answer to this prayer. We notice in verse 24. He says father I desire. That they also. Which refers to those whom thou has given me. Be with me in my glory. So he is asking not for his own glory. To be restored to him here. He's already asked that back in verses 1 through 5. Father, glorify the Son. He is not asking for his own glory here, but he is asking that we also be taken into his glory with him. His request is for us that we might enter his glory. Father, I desire not just for me, but also for them, for all whom you have given me, that they may behold me in my glory. This desire of Jesus 
to have all of his disciples with him in glory. Is his desire, which continues now in heaven, and it is the evidence, the great evidence of his continuing love for us, that he desires this fellowship with us who are still on the earth. This is what his heart is set upon before his throne in heaven. This is what he continually thinks upon as he is in glory. Father, he says, moment by moment, his request is, Father, I desire that all those whom you have given me, that they be with me where I am, that they might behold my glory. The disciples had great sorrow this night as they heard the news of Jesus' coming departure. And he had said to them, little children, I am with you a little while longer, and where I am going, you cannot now come. He said, I am going away, and I am going to my father's house. They thought they would never see him again. They thought it meant a complete separation from him, an end to fellowship with him forever. But Jesus says here, no, it is not so. When I arrive at my father's throne and I am in my glory and you are still here on the earth, I will never forget you or be unmindful of you. This is what I will always be doing. I will be making this request of my heavenly father. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory. And Jesus could say to his disciples on this night, as we ourselves should know, we know how effectual, how powerful his prayers are on our behalf. The Father always gives what the Son asks. We ought to desire to be with Christ ourselves, and it is the desire of every Christian to be with Jesus. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, in verse 23, he said, I desire, I desire to be with Christ, for that is very much better. And he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, he said, we are of good courage. We are of good courage and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. And so there is this desire in the hearts of Christians to be with Jesus. But this is not about our desire to be with him. This is about his desire to be with us. His desire for continuing fellowship with us. One always desires to be with the one he loves. And this is the way it is with Jesus, even from his throne in heaven with us who are on the earth, a most astonishing thing that the holy God of heaven, the Son of God, would desire for us to be with him, in fellowship with him, to behold his glory. His desire is not just a temporary desire for us to be with him, as if he says to his father, Father, I desire for them to be with me for a little while, just a little while. This is an eternal desire, an eternal fellowship. 
for us who are sinners to be with him in his glory forever. You know how it is when you have guests come to your home, even your best of friends. You are glad to have them come to your home, but only for a little while. Not too long. Not so with Jesus. An eternal fellowship that he is asking for us to be raised up into from this world to the world above that we might be with him in his glory forever. He is still the friend of sinners, eternally the lover of our souls. Our names are written on his hands and he is not ashamed to call us his brethren And before the throne of God, this is his request. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me. He expresses this before his father in heaven. This is what he says to his father. Now that he is in heaven. After all that the father has given to him. All the glory, the honor, the might, the highest place of glory in heaven. As if Jesus is not yet content. And he must have one more thing. I desire, Father, even after all that you have given me, setting me at your right hand, I desire that all of my people will be with me. He is in glory. He is in honor. He has power, riches, majesty in heaven. But he is still, has no rest until all his saints are with him. His desire in heaven for fellowship with us is so strong, sincere, earnest, that sometimes it breaks through from heaven down to earth. When he says, I will come and dwell among them and walk among them, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be in the midst of them. If I cannot have them all with me now, then I will come down and I will dwell among them For a short time on earth. He is in heaven in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. This is the love of Jesus in heaven for us now so great that He still desires to have this fellowship with us. He desires a little foretaste of what it will be like to have us with him forever. So he comes to meet with us in the assembly of the church and to reveal his glory to us in the gospel. We desire foretastes of what it is like to be with him. He desires foretastes of what it is to have us with him. 
That's what's taking place here. Father, I desire that they also whom thou hast given me would be with me where I am. He sends the Holy Spirit, the down payment and the guarantee of what is to come to accomplish this. The hymn writer said, the streams on earth we've tasted more deep we'll drink above for him and for us. I have often thought, I have to confess that I thought this verse was only a one-time prayer for each one of his saints when we came to the end of life to death. And as if we live our entire life, this prayer is not made in heaven by the Lord Jesus. We simply live our entire Christian life. When we come to the end, then suddenly Jesus makes this one-time prayer and it is fulfilled. And when he makes it, we are taken up into heaven. That's the way I've thought of this verse in the past. But that is not what's going on here. Because this is a present tense verb, which means that this is continual, ongoing. This is the daily request and desire of Jesus for each one of his disciples. This is his intercession through all of life. Finally, it is fulfilled in death when we are taken up to be with him. It is a twofold request which he asks here. First, that we would be with him where he is. That's what heaven is. He says in verse 24, that they be with me where I am. He is in his father's house. He is in glory. And so he requests that we be brought to be with him. Heaven is not a place it is to be with our Lord Jesus Christ, to be in the presence of Christ. This is what death brings us into. Jesus said to the penitent thief, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Paul said, To die is gain, for it is to depart and be with Christ We are absent from the body. We are home, at home with the Lord. If Jesus comes back first, before we die, Paul says that we who are alive will remain and be caught up together with them in the air, in the clouds to meet the Lord, to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And so that's what heaven is. It is to be with our Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. I go to my father's house, he says, to prepare a place for you. And I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. This is the request that that promise be fulfilled. So the first part of his request is concerning who we will be with. We will be with him. The second part of his request here is what we will be doing When we are with him, in order that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. There is glory that Jesus has been restored to in heaven after his resurrection and ascension. It is a different glory from his pre-incarnate glory before he came into the world in the incarnation because he received 
a humanity to himself. And so now in heaven, his humanity has been glorified. It is a restored glory in a sense, but it is the glorification of his human nature as he is raised up and seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. He was always God. He retained his deity at all times, but now his humanity is glorified in heaven. The glory which thou hast given me. The Bible speaks much of his glory. And I will tell you a few things that the Bible says about the glory of Jesus this morning. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father in his finished work. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9 God therefore highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and upon earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is true for every person here. Every single knee in this building and throughout this entire world, will bow before Jesus and confess him to be the Lord, to the glory of God the Father. John saw his, the glorified Jesus in his vision in Revelation chapter 1. And John said his hair, his head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire, and his feet were like burnished bronze, when it has been caused to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. His glorified humanity, John saw. And then there were all the things that accompany his glory in heaven. The throne of God, The book of Revelation speaks of flashes of lightning, peals of thunder, and a sea like glass before it. The four living creatures, the 24 elders, all bow down before him. There are thousands upon ten thousands of angels mighty with power who surround his throne. And the saints, they are all with him and they've been made perfect in righteousness. They're the great walls the great and high walls of the city, the foundation stones of every kind of precious stone, the twelve gates of pearl and the streets of gold and the throne of God and of the Lamb in the midst. And it is all because of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there is such brightness in that city that there is no need of the sun or of the moon to shine Upon it, the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. All of this is the glory that belongs to our Lord Jesus Christ, and it is the attendant glory, the accompanying glory, all because of him. That's the glory that he speaks of. 
John says in Revelation 22 that we shall see his face and heaven will sing, Worthy art thou to take the book and break its seals. For thou wast slain and its purchased for God with thy blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Many more things could be said. But this is the glory that Jesus desires for all of us who believe in him to behold and to see and to have fellowship with him in his glory forever. This is the joy that was set before him that we would be with him to behold his glory. This is his love for us that continues in heaven even this day. We do not know what it will be like or how wonderful it will be because we have nothing, we have nothing in this world that we can compare it to. And we have no capacity at the present time to even begin to understand anything of the glory that belongs to Jesus. This is why Paul said that the perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. But the perishable must put on the imperishable and the mortal put on the immortal. We must be changed in every way so that we may even begin to understand something and enter in to that glory. Sometimes I can remember hearing it said that the Bible doesn't really tell us much about heaven. And sometimes people wish that the Bible would tell us more about heaven. I'm not sure that the Bible doesn't say much about heaven. I think that it does, and I've quoted only a few verses. The problem is not that we are not told enough. The problem is we cannot comprehend, we cannot even begin to understand what we have been told. It is too far above us. It is incomprehensible to us, and we can only wait to see what it is when this prayer of Jesus is finally answered. So many of the things that we have spoken of, quoted from the Bible about heaven, it is symbolic language. It is figurative language. It must be so because how can that world above be described by the language of this world? The worlds are so vastly different. You cannot use the language of one world to describe the the place of another world. It is impossible. It is indescribable glory. Jesus spoke these things for the joy of his disciples. Back in John chapter 16, he told them the troubles that they would face. John chapter 15, even in this prayer, he mentions the world will hate them. And they will be persecuted and they will even be put to death and men will kill them on account of his name. He has told them of his sufferings, but here he tells them of the glory that they shall enter into. 
There are sufferings first, then glory to follow. And it is for our joy as well. Jesus speaks these things that our joy might be made full. That whatever our troubles may be here, there is this glory that is to come. We live in a world of sin and darkness. Heaven is a world of beauty. All beauty and holiness. This is a world of sorrow and pain. Heaven is a joy, play, a home, a world of joy and happiness. This is a world of uncleanness. Heaven is a world of purity. Here we have darkness and we have death. Heaven is a world of light and life. This world is passing away. Heaven is eternal. Here we have guilt and shame. There we have freedom and peace. In this world, the name of Jesus is blasphemed. In the world of heaven, his name is glorified and honored forever and ever. There could not be a greater difference between this world and the world which is to come. And this is the world that the great God of heaven has made for his beloved son and for his glory. There are many things in this world that we marvel at. And we call it the wonders of creation. And how wonderful so many things are. But this world is indescribably, infinitely above the wonders of this world. This is the glory that belongs to Jesus. And this is the glory that he desires to bring all of his disciples into. This world is not all there is. There is another world to come. And so we must set our minds upon it. As Christians, if we are Christians, this is what we should be mindful of every day, that this is the prayer of our Lord Jesus in heaven for us on the very day. I desire that they also be with me where I am. Can we think of him praying for us to be present with him in glory and still walk in ways of darkness and sin and love of the world here below? As he prays for us, we should live in a way that prepares ourselves for his prayer to be answered for us. This place of heaven is still open to all sinners today. The great king of glory invites sinners to come. Whoever will come, the gate of heaven is still open. The king of glory sits in his throne and he invites all to come. And whoever will come with repentance from their sin. And whoever will come casting their sins upon Jesus and looking to him for mercy. Whoever will come in that way, they are welcome to come. And Jesus will begin, continue to pray for you in this way. That you would be with him ultimately in this glory. May God have mercy upon us and open all of our eyes to this glorious truth. Let's pray together. Father and gracious God in heaven, 
We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, for the glory that belongs to him now in heaven, that you have exalted him to the highest place, that he is the victor over sin and death, and he has conquered the devil and his kingdom, and he is saving his people from all of their sins. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have rescued us and brought us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Help us to desire this fellowship with you as well. Have mercy upon us and teach us these things by your Holy Spirit this day. And for those who do not know you, Lord Jesus, have great mercy upon them. And may they have no rest until they find peace and grace from the Lord Jesus. Thank you that you are a willing Savior. And everyone who comes, all who come to you, you will in no wise cast them out. We pray that you would hear us now and help us. In Jesus' name, amen.